Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity. Both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now. Life on a Lamppost, a short story by Ben Talon. Oh! <laughs> oh! The old lady was short, in her early 70s maybe, and flustered. She jabs a bony finger at my dog, visibly relieved about something I've done. I didn't see him, I thought you were tying yourself to the lamppost. Before I can process any of this, she's gone. My dog cranes his head to watch her beyond the lamppost he'd walked the wrong side of, forcing my awkward embrace of it to untangle his leash. Finally, I picture how it must have looked from where she stood and start to laugh, a slightly unhinged gurgle and hiccup. In the usual cafe, I stare into space and try to meditate. It's getting harder to stop my mind from spinning out of control, like those scenes of racing cars jerking side to side before the pile-up you can't look away from. After ten minutes, I'm almost calm. But there, between me and inner peace, is the vision of the lamppost. This is not an entirely unpleasant encroachment. So I close my eyes, sucking a greedy lungful of the warm cafe heater air, and approach it. The memory of the cool, sheer surface of every lamppost I ever touched is readily served up by my brain. Its simplicity is so... grounding. What if I had been tying myself to it? What might I be protesting against by doing so, here in this quaint town on an unremarkable Tuesday afternoon? The sheer speed of it all? Maybe they'd arrest me. They can do that now. The abolition of objection. Undemocratic legislation shoved through while we were asleep. It's these insidious thoughts that creep in, and before I know it, full-blown roaring hysteria sweeps me away. It's happening too often these days. I have to get out and breathe different air get perspective. On the way back home I return to the lamppost, unclip the dog and tie myself to it. He blinks twice and sits down, thrown by my unexpected behaviour. It's a quiet side street with one Mexican restaurant halfway down and a fish and chip shop opposite. Two students trundle by, notice the leash on my arm and start giggling and muttering, shoulder barging each other off the pavement edge. This makes me smile and it's at this moment that I realise I'm present for the first time this week, soothed by the lamppost's absolute lack of any doubt over its existence, its philosophical certainty in its purpose. A spider sways back and forth in the breeze on its web, which covers the gap between the slender neck of the lamppost and the wall. Cigarette butts blow down the street, rolling gleefully and kicking up into dreamy flowing cartwheels. Here at one with where I am, all these details are vibrant with colour. A big man in a high-visibility jacket bowls out of the chippy and grunts an insult in my direction, which I don't quite catch. Fucking... something or other. Protester. 
That's what he thinks, I think. But it's not that. I don't know what it is. The only thing I'm protesting about is the monstrous anxiety hurricane that rages around my skull, devastating my ability to function while I sit at that bastard desk, online, all day, every day, freaking out about, in no particular order, clients who've ghosted me, mass extinction, fat tax bills, poor social media engagement, they're leaking the house roof, algorithms, artificial intelligence, art, ailing river health, elderly relatives who aren't what they once were, extreme weather, student loan repayments, malnourished sex life, and any other uninvited guests that swagger onto the dance floor and join me in the panic party. By 5pm there's a steady stream of people coming home from work and the light atop the lamppost flickers on. Two of the returning workers recognise me and come to say hello, but struggle to piece a sentence together once they notice my tether. Excuses are made and I'm future gossip. I saw one tweet that said, is it woke to not want Armageddon? I haven't seen the whole climate crisis and complex psychology holding us back from solutions better distilled than that. Woke. Snowflake. Lefty. Gammon. Name calling in the political playground. That's what they've reduced us to. Infighting while they get away with ecocide. These mind storms always start with climate doom. Or lack of work. My two big antagonists. An immovable boulder. Sometimes both. After one attempt to move them, they burst into many, and it's like trying to sweep up mercury. If you've never done that, it's a liquid metal, and it self-replicates into increasingly large armies of silver tears, Russian doll style. Alternatively, try putting toothpaste back in the tube. By bedtime, it's raining glass behind my eyes, and I'm grinding my teeth to dust. Sometimes, my thoughts get so nebulous, I can hear them hissing like dead stars. It's exhausting and counterproductive. Nothing is ever solved this way. I know this. My grip on whatever triggered the fight or flight instinct to begin with is broken. And my racing heart fires wave after wave of neurons at anything and everything, strafing the sky and the ground in wild spins like a plummeting helicopter gunship. A group of long skinny teenagers with hoods up throw small stones at me. Two of them chink against the lamppost, but most miss, and they lose interest in me when I continue to smile. Not a facetious smile, but pleasure in my full experiencing of the encounter. Dusk sets in, and the bright colours of the Mexican restaurant intensify. Cackling skulls wear feathered top hats and stare back at me from behind the glass. Self-loathing. That's what comes next. After I've calmed down and returned to something close to a rational mindset, you dickhead. I shout insults out loud sometimes. All kinds of insults at myself. Then guilt. Guilt over the time I've wasted on near panic attacks when I should have been sourcing new work or just relaxing, enjoying my freedom. The wasted upside to a creative industry career chewed up and shit out in big neuro dollops. The tragic realisation that yesterday is never coming around again and you ripped adrenaline fireworks across the skies of your mind, wasting energy, pulling your attention away from all the good stuff. In the end, all that remained was burned out and empty. And did anything really change in your life right here, I mean, while you were fretting? I'm still here, still consulting my calendar each day. After a while, when I've bored myself into exhausted submission and my body goes limp, the thoughts stop and I crash. That old link between artists and madness, it's a warped truth. We stopped calling it madness decades ago. 
neurosis. They called it that for a while. Then they binned that term too because the umbrella under which they just lumped everything was no longer fit for purpose. Not when we started to learn more about the abundance and complexity of the many conditions, dispositions, tendencies and traits. Those things that make us well suited to the arts, the divergent thinking and the different slant on the world, they also make us vulnerable. Historically, people just haven't been able to find a way to trust that beautiful part of the human condition that can't promise certainty or quantify those variables that make it all so risky and seductive. Creativity. The great unknown, where it's all possible. Nutrition for the soul, that elusive bit that nobody can pin to the slab and dissect for their textbooks. They like to chase it with big torches and knives, sparing the words income and employment. Get out and see people. Old-fashioned conversations with our mouths, faces so close that you can see nostril hair nests, smell the lipstick. It helps. Go to the pub, sometimes. The drinkers listen and laugh. Laughing helps. When I see them at the bar, I'll tell them about that lamppost. But I'm not yet ready to detach myself from this totem. I sit down and take off my coat, wrapping the dog in it. All those dogs belonging to homeless people, living under the stars. He wags his tail and pokes out his little pink tongue, laps my wrist. I laugh and realise I haven't smiled enough lately. A group of women shrieks with raucous laughter as they enter the restaurant. The one on the end peels away and comes over to me. She fishes around in her purse and tosses two one-pound coins down into my lap. I flinch and cover my crotch, caught off guard. Are you alright, love? she asks. I must look like a cowering child all the way down here. Fine, oh, I'm not begging. But thank you, anyway, I say and hand her back the coins. She looks at me with a quizzical expression. The leash. What's that? she says. Her friends come over. Are you a protester? And she's looking around for others who might be with me. Kind of, I say, smirking. What against? Hard to explain. Uh. Julie, come on! Table's ready, her friend says, leaning out of the door, squinting to see who she's talking to. Just then, red and blue lights flood the street and a police car turns in and pulls up on the other side of the street. A chippy staff member shuffles out in baggy trousers and toots on his vape thing, sheepishly watching to catch the drama. The dog greets the officer with a wagging tail and dancing feet. The officer ignores him. Hello, sir. We've had reports of a protest down here that we weren't informed about. Do you know anything about that? He looks back at his colleague, full of doubt. No, no, mate. No protest. Just my private rioter causing damage, I tell him. He laughs and looks down and takes this to me and the dog. Oh, yeah. Of course. Got my own. Probably smashing the house up now. He bends down and pats the dog, who jumps up and embraces the fussy. What can I do for you, then? I ask them. Put on the spot, they scan the street and grow visibly irritated. How long have you been here? Quiet one asks, his eyes in shadow under the brim of his hat. A few hours. I answer, honestly. He leans over and looks at the leash and the dog, then sighs. Just you? The other asks. Well, me, him, and one other. At this, the officers spin wildly, like they're on an axis, and turn back to me, wide-eyed, when all they see is the old woman from earlier, with impeccable timing. Hello again, love, she says, smiling at the dog. I remember you. The officers look up and down the street one last time and say, Okay. Must have been just before abandoning the statement, strolling back to the car. 
It doesn't start. And I walk up the street with the woman, who bids me farewell and turns right after the lamppost, just like earlier. I silently wave her off, but she doesn't look back. I barely laugh when I get to the churchyard, <laughs> before my house. The madness of it all. Still no jobs in my email, but I'm sure they'll come. Thank you for listening, guys. If you enjoyed that, you can check out more of my writing, fiction and non-fiction over at bentallenwriter.com. Keep listening to the podcast. I'll see you on the next episode. And if you do want to support the show and creativity at large, which is my mission, please do share the show. Drop us a little review and subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform. Nice one. Have a good day.